but the numbers were my goal. Um, how to grow my business by X percent that year. You know, you get to the end of the year and you meet, exceed, or you miss <laughs> um, your targets, and the and the year starts again, and you do it again. And I learned over the years as I developed my leadership skills. Now each year is a step in the journey, step in the journey of the purpose and the vision of the, of the business, and each year is is progress to our vision. Hi, I'm Belded Mankus. Welcome to the Purposeful Strategist, the podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I'll be joined by Pete Hemshaw, CEO of Dialis. Pete describes how his personal purpose relates to his organization's purpose and how they both are delivered through supporting their clients. He also talks about the benefits he finds as a CEO of being an introvert and how their purpose helped them navigate the disruptions of COVID. Pete, welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. Um, you're the Chief Executive Officer of Dialis. Um, could you just tell us a bit about what Dialis does and, and also how you see your role in it? Yeah, absolutely. First, just to give a bit of a, an intro of myself, just to put in context. I'm a career consultant, so I've been a consultant for 20 years, specializing in life sciences. Um, after honing my skills in consulting, I turned my attention to running businesses and have been leading consulting practices and businesses over the last 14 years. Currently, I'm the chief executive officer of Dialis, a life sciences consulting firm with a heritage in competitive intelligence. So competitive intelligence, this is the discipline which directly feeds into our clients' decision-making. Every strategic decision point requires input from the competitive dimension. Mm -hmm. And just sort of kind of get a flavor for it, how big is Dialis? How long has it been around? Yeah, so it's been around for about 15 years. We have about 100 um, team. And in terms of geographical spread, we have offices in London, Los Angeles, New York, Tokyo, and Shanghai. But the size of our business, I'm very proud of our global spread. So if you had to sum up the purpose of Dialis, what would it be? And could you say a bit about how you went about either developing it or identifying it? Yeah, so I want to take a step back in time because my purpose actually started when I was a child. And I think it's important for me to really explain where this came from. So when I was growing up, um, my dad was a local uh, GP, uh, general practitioner in my hometown. And I always remember walking in the streets with him and strangers would come up and say, hello, Dr. Hemshaw. And I asked um, who these people were. And he said, oh, they're my patients. And everyone knew my dad uh, and everyone wanted to say hello. And I thought my dad was amazing. I wanted to be him. I wanted to be a doctor. But in my teens, I realized my dad got quite stressed with the pressures of seeing quite a small number of patients any day, any given time. And obviously, there's a finite amount of help he can give to every single patient. And I always remember that his happiest was when a new treatment would come out and would improve the prognosis of some of his patients. So I changed my plan and decided to sort of veer away from being a doctor and go into manufacturing. I felt if I went into manufacturing, I could support the lives of more patients by helping to develop medical systems or treatments. So during my university days, I did medical systems engineering as a degree. I met several people who worked for some of the top pharmaceutical 
companies and they were so passionate about their specific therapy area that they worked in. And for me, I didn't have a specific therapy area that I was passionate about. I wanted to really help improve patients' lives in general. And at that time, I began to realize I also had a passion for business and problem solving. So I changed my direction again and decided a career in consulting was for me, especially in life sciences. And here I found I could support and advise many life science manufacturers And in so doing, they could advance healthcare and improve patients' lives. So the biggest buzz I get um, when we take a step back and look at our impact on our clients in Dialis and our service excellence towards them is really when I see the client impact or the patient impact. So, for example, optimizing the launch of a new drug in order to reduce delays getting this treatment to patients or identifying a patient subpopulation with a specific unmet need that a new treatment can support. So when I joined Dialis almost three years ago, the business was already known for high quality, bespoke solutions, and being a true partner to our clients. And our heritage and expertise is in competitive intelligence, as I mentioned. This is what our brand is known for. This is what we've been leading the field for many years. And competitive intelligence feeds into strategic decision-making. Every commercial decision must to some degree, consider the competition, the current and the future market. And it wouldn't be doing our clients justice if we merely focused on gathering information and passing this on to them so they can consider it making their decisions. So Dialis has already got a name for itself for being more of a partner to our clients. But I wanted to leverage the backbone of what we do and do very well what we're known for, in order to have an even greater influence on supporting clients to make the right decisions, which ultimately advances healthcare and improves patient lives. So this is our purpose, to advance healthcare and improve patients' lives. So what I've kind of got from that is your personal purpose and the Dialis kind of organizational purpose are very much the same thing. Absolutely. And I mean, one of the things why I came into life sciences was that process, that sort of journey that I came through from wanting to be more on the clinical side. But over the course of my personal development, I wanted to move into sort of more of the business, more of the commercial, more of the consulting side. And what's quite exciting when I speak to new joiners in the business, a lot of our new joiners have PhDs, masters, and they have the same journey. So they started off wanting to go into research, wanting to go into academics, but actually they evolved their thinking and wanted to actually move into and support um, from the consulting side. So kind of a, a pretty obvious question, given the history there, were you drawn to Dialis and sort of wanted to become the chief exec there because you thought, oh, here's a business and their organizational purpose is the same as mine? Or did you kind of join Dialis and more bring that purpose to them? So yes and no. When I came into Dialis and I retold my story to the business, the majority found it inspirational and emotionally connected to it. However, a lot of people also said, hey, hang on a minute, this is why I came into consulting. So it was always there. People felt it, but we didn't really focus on it. So I would say, um, yes, I brought it to Dialis, but it was almost that I unleashed it. So I sort of almost brought it out of itself. So to some extent, kind of almost like a recognition by the organization of something that had been there, but maybe hadn't been noticed or discussed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in my sort of 
first 100 days, as well as assessing the business from all angles, I created a draft of my vision and mission. I wanted to make sure it was draft because I wanted to present a draft to the business for them to critique it and make it our own. And I actually unveiled the the draft of our vision and mission in a retreat that we had about six months after I joined. So the, the sort of the vision and mission sort of was created within about that time frame. It was really exciting for me personally to see people just nod and really understand and say, hey, that's it. That's what this is. What this is, what the mission is and the purpose is for the business. And it's really about client impact and the client impact on the patients. Mm. How's that clarity of purpose, that kind of recognition of it helped in making strategic decisions and sort of getting things to happen? Well, we know the saying that purpose is the North Star and it helps bring clarity, authenticity and consistency to decision making. It helps us make thoughtful and conscious choices. So most of our strategic decision making is aligned to being a strategic partner to our clients from bringing in new skills and offerings that can further support decision makers to invest in in initiatives that plan to ultimately increase efficiencies, um, thus having the team focus on the areas that really count for our clients. So again, you know, really thinking about purpose at the forefront allows us to think, okay, what strategies do we need to come up with effectively that's aligned to the purpose? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, are there any specific examples you might point to where either you decided to do something new that you might not have done otherwise, or that you said, oh, actually, we're going to stop doing that or kind of downplay the importance of that given our purpose? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a couple of examples. I think one of the focus areas we've had is, is moving away from being client focused, which I see as sort of pushing services to our clients like, hey, we're here, this is what we do, would you like some, to being more client-centric. So listening to our clients, understanding their challenges, and then almost using our toolkit of services and, and skills to really try and give our clients that bespoke solution. So it really moves us, in my view, to being a real partner to our clients rather than a service provider or vendor. So that's one example. And we've we've done that all the way through from you know, the client feedback that we're asking for, making sure that we have a feedback loop system so that we can systematically grab that feedback and pull it back into the business and really look at, you know, can we enhance our business? Can we double down on some key benefits that our clients see um, and really involve the business around that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a lot of both public and media focus right now on climate change and net zero. Given all that, does an organization's purpose have to relate to that to be successful? Or do you feel, no, that's not necessarily something we need to really do that much on? It's a really interesting one. I think this is where you need to break away from just focusing on sort of revenues and profits and think about what's right. You know, we have environmental policies, we have sustainability policies and and internal ambassadors, and we specifically don't do that to promote ourselves in that way. Although, obviously, I'm very proud of what we're doing. It's really because it's what's right. And our our team wants to be a part of a company that does that. You could argue a byproduct is it motivates and engages the team as as well as it does myself. But ultimately, it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Before we move on from purpose, in your way of thinking, is the purpose the same as a vision or a mission or are they different? How does all that work? Well, I see the 
purpose as being sort of the first thing. So why do we exist? You know, what's the point of us? And so that's why our purpose of enhancing healthcare and improving patients' lives is a statement. And then the mission is really tactically how we're going to get there. So you can't separate them, but certainly the, the, you know, the, the vision, the mission is almost how do we move towards the purpose? Mm-hmm. Okay. What would you say your strategy is? We have multiple strategies in a consultancy. It's important not just to consider growth strategies, but stability and sustainability strategies as well. So how do we achieve sustainable growth? I'll give you three examples. So geographical expansion is one. One of our advantages and value propositions is that we, for a relatively small consultancy, as I've mentioned, we have a truly global team, Uh, not just the diversity in each office, which I'm very proud of, um, but also invest in, in the success of our offices in the US, in the UK, and in Asia. We're able to truly leverage the regional expertise in each office for global clients, but also we can serve local clients with feet on the ground, so to speak. So that's one of our strategies, that geographic expansion. Um, the second one is we're investing in technology to augment our consulting services to give an even better service to our clients. We're investing in off-the-shelf tools and platforms where appropriate, but also investing in proprietary technology. And again, to do this, we're able to focus on what really counts for our clients. So that allows us to really focus on how do we support our clients in their strategic decision-making and not be too sort of focused on some of the heavy lifting tasks. So Pete, I don't tend to think of strategy consulting as a sort of technology heavy business, but you know, maybe I'm missing something here. I'm sure that's the case. Can you give me an example of the kinds of technologies you're investing in that help you do a better job for your clients? It's things like knowledge management systems. It's things like the ability to make certain areas of secondary research more efficient using AI capabilities and things like that. We hire really, really smart, smart people. And I want their brain power to be focused on really supporting our clients, really analyzing data that we have and really understanding what the insights are. So anything that I can sort of reduce the heavy lifting, reduce the burden on the team so that they can focus their headspace and time on really supporting the clients. Better for us, but also the better for the clients. Any others you might point to? Yeah, absolutely. So the I guess the third example, um, and I think I mentioned this before, continuing our journey in becoming even more client-centric and client-focused. So really ensuring we're helping to solve our clients' challenges and needs versus pushing specific services and offerings Uh, onto our clients and seeing if they're interested. That sounds like a very sensible thing to do, but how do you actually go about doing that? Listening more than talking, to be brutally honest with you. I know that sounds ridiculous. I mean, I never thought I was going to be a CEO because I'm an unshy introvert, which basically means I lose my energy in crowds. But one of my mentors said to me, actually, introverts make great salespeople because they listen and they like to solve problems. Um, And so really... It's about listening to our clients, not being the loudest one in the room. So it's really, really important to do that focus. What I always say to our teams when we're speaking to clients, you know, one of the first questions has to be, what's on your mind? You know, what do you want to talk about? Not, hey, here we are, we've turned up, this is us. So really, really important. Yeah. You mentioned sort of three strategies. How did you go about developing those? Who got involved? How long did it take? you know, how did all that work? Yeah, it's one of those ones where there's never really 
start and an end because it's all about evolution and thinking. So I sort of tease and joke with my team that I'm forever doing my five-year strategic plan because every year I have to start it again in year one. And I think that's, it's a joke, but it's important. So it's an evolution. So I listen and I get my teams to listen. A perfect example is the entry into China that we did in 2020. That wasn't because I came into the business and said, hey, we need a an office in China, that's the most important thing for us to do. It was actually started with a corridor conversation with two of my colleagues who were talking about an unmet need for one of our largest clients and their strategic focus on, on China. And so that conversation created a business plan, which created testing and, and pressure testing market trends and client needs, which moved into opening an office in China. So again, a lot of this is listening and it's not just listening to the clients, although that's super important. It's listening to the clients, it's listening to my team, and it's listening to the market. Mm-hmm. But when you say the market, how do you listen to the market beyond your clients? It's not just what our clients say. It's also looking at trends. It's looking at looking at trends in therapy areas, you know, which ones are becoming more important. Where do we see the future need in terms of different therapy areas? What's the macro trends outside of healthcare? I mean... Everyone was as surprised as I was about the pandemic, but it was a big shocker to a lot of our companies. And there was a need to really redefine a lot of the things we do internally because of that macro trend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just coming back to this idea that you're constantly redoing your five-year plan, it's very much sort of listening-oriented. How did you decide to take that approach? Because there's obviously lots of other ways you could have done it. It's a, it's a good question. I think as a business leader, you have to make the decisions with the least certainty and the least data. So you have to make decisions. If you wait until you have all the data, typically the opportunity is gone. And if it hasn't and you, you execute on that decision, it's really hard to turn around because you're so convinced that it's the right thing to do that you actually become sort of laser focused and almost blinded by that. So actually continuously monitoring your decisions, continuously monitoring your strategic plans allows you to make decisions upon decisions to course correct. I mean, going back to COVID-19 and the pandemic, that's where we had to make decisions with the least data that I've ever had to do. We were continuously having to test it. So action, test, action, test, repeat. That for me is an acute example outside of um, the, the pandemic. That evolution, that continuous testing is is so important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you think about how you've gone through the process of developing a, what I'd call a purposeful strategy, uh, is there anything you're particularly proud of? Anything you think, yeah, we did that really well, or I did that really well? I invest time and thoroughly enjoy meeting new joiners um, and try to always relay our purpose in these discussions. And I get a real buzz when I see genuine enthusiasm and connection to our purpose from these new colleagues. A lot of our new starters have an academic background, around 50% having PhDs, but they decided working in a lab was not for them, but they still have a passion for healthcare. So this is truly motivational for them, as it was and still is for me, as I'm keen to create an organization where team members can identify which they share a sense of pride for and which they're willing to commit. And, and for me, if, if everyone is behind the purpose and everyone is behind the vision, then you have real motivation and engagement in the, in the business. 
And we're a people business. If the purpose and the vision and the, the work motivates, engages the team, that's number one for me. Great. And anything in that journey that was difficult or surprising or... I'm not sure about surprising, but when I first introduced my draft mission, some of the team didn't get it um, and weren't brought into it. They couldn't accept that I truly believed our purpose was to improve patient lives. You know, as a consultant, how do we really improve patient lives? It was a minority, but it was hard. But I, I needed to accept that not everyone who comes in truly buys into our purpose and mission. Um, and it, in general, it's sometimes difficult to remain aligned to the purpose and not go off course as new issues always crop up that require troubleshooting. I try now to start key meetings with reminding the team of our purpose, mission and vision, because really when it comes down to crisis and critical decisions, sometimes it can be lost. And so it's really important for us to come back to it. So for me, the remedy of that is repeat, repeat, repeat. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you made a decision implicit or explicit that I know some chief execs would have made a different decision. Was that a conscious choice or just sort of a pragmatic accommodation to this is where we are and I'm not going to make a big deal out of it? If you can, take me through sort of how you think about that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a really good point. I mean, I think it really has to be up to the individual. I mentioned, you know, we have to adapt, adapt, adapt the strategy. You can't do that with the purpose and the vision. You know, you have to keep that, keep that constant. And so when people join the company, you know, there are people who, who start and they, they thought that they didn't want to continue with, with the research or, or um, academia, um, and they thought they wanted to go into, come into consulting, but it didn't, it, it's not right for them. Uh, and to be brutally honest with you, if it's not right for them, they're better off finding employment where it is. And, and we, we certainly don't push people towards the door. They can, they can make their own decisions, but ultimately it's really important for us not to hide our vision and our purpose and our mission. So people can truly get behind it or not. It makes the business more efficient because people, when they're making conscious decisions in the moments or carefully thought through, if I know that they're making those decisions aligned and based on our purpose and our, our vision, it's pretty likely to be the right decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any tips or suggestions for other leaders who are wrestling with the question of their organization's purpose, their strategy, how they bring them together, how they bring them alive? Co-create, continuously engage, uh, and don't be afraid to over-communicate. Um, what would you say the impact on you personally has been? I mean, you came to this organization with a personal purpose that either by luck or judgment, ended up being sort of this, pretty much the same as the organizations. But what's changed about you over the last few years? When I keep our purpose as my North Star when strategizing, my clarity of thinking is much more enhanced. The process becomes more energized and exciting, which in turn leads to more creativity and innovation. I do remember the times when I was a business leader when um, I was so focused on the numbers. You know, that was my goal. The, the numbers were my goal. Um, how to grow my business by X percent that year. You know, you get to the end of the year and you meet, exceed, or you miss um, your targets and the, and the year starts again and you do it again. And I learned over the years as I developed my leadership skills. Now, each year is a step in the journey, step in the journey of the purpose and the vision of the, of the business. 
and each year is is progress to our vision. So yes, of course, you need KPIs each year to measure success, but ultimately, you know, for me, it's the journey that I get excited by, not the ultimate goal per se. It's very motivating for the team as well. So we have lots of initiatives and, and operational tracks that we're not looking to finish each of these initiatives every year. We want to make progress each year. And I, and I say to the team, if we've made progress in each of these operational tracks initiatives, it means we're enhancing the business continuously. You know, we don't have to um, set ourselves a goal to complete something year one, then complete something in year two, et cetera. But we need to continuously evolve and enhance the, enhance the business. So it's really about enjoying the journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything I haven't asked you about that you wish I had? Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, we talked about it a little bit, um, but it would have been good to discuss if the pandemic had an impact or sidelined our purpose and purposeful strategy. Well, well so has it. <laughs> um, we did have to take our eyes off the long term as we focused on tactical crisis management uh, in, and as in both people dimension and our client dimension. Um, internally, we needed to focus on our connectivity sense of community and our culture, as I mentioned. And from the client side, we needed to focus on their own you know, changing needs, which meant we needed to be more agile and nimble. But ultimately, you know, we need to keep sight of our purpose really helped with the, with the above. So if we hadn't kept um, sight of our purpose, we could have made some wrong decisions, maybe the right decisions tactically in the short term, potentially could have disrupted um, our long-term purpose. But we did have to focus on sort of critical management or crisis management, as I mentioned. Um, In fact, I remember when we launched the mission and vision, and I think it was about a month, literally a handful of weeks later, we sent out a notification that everyone had to work from home because of the pandemic. So I literally flipped from talking about future, talking about vision and purpose to suddenly everyone has to work from home. Please grab your laptops. Yeah. Even in those moments, having some sense of, what it's really all about helps you make the the better decisions for the longer term. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we didn't get everything right. And we really had to try and focus on the team, but and also clients at the same time. Like it was hard. It was really hard to to maintain that connectivity and that culture and community spirit in the team. And for me as well, you know, every day sitting at home staring at my computer, you know, a lot of that. The excitement, the office, office bars and community spirit just wasn't there. It was very artificial. So we really did push that. I think if we didn't have the purpose, you know, if we didn't have that, that vision in, in the back of our minds, I think it could have been a lot worse. Well, that's, that's probably a good note to end on. Pete, again, thank you for joining us. It's been really great to hear sort of both your own personal journey as well as what, you know, the kind of the organizational journey over the last few years. Thanks for joining us. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.